0: Snack production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week we do a podcast and we delve into something, an issue that is happening around the world. There is no one better qualified to talk about it. Except this man, a couple of PhDs in international relations. You are an expert <laughs> on essentially anything that happens in the world, Keith. And you've been a commentator for media in, for many years on these sorts of issues. Um, and you break it down. You make it easy for people to understand. I've been working with you in media as well as a producer for quite a number of years. Yep. Loved every minute. <laughs> My name's Kate Mack. So today we're going to talk about what is going on in America because it has dominated headlines for a very long time now. George Floyd, black American we all know the story of what happened here. Keith, this is pretty devastating what's happening over there, but it's it's systemic racism that has been there for a very long time. That's right.
1: That, I think that's the issue that we ought to be exploring, that the mainstream media focus a lot on what they see as being the immediate issues, the police brutality, the rioting by the protesters, et cetera. But there's actually a a much deeper story that we need to examine and which you can't do on mainstream TV when you're giving three minutes and you've got to up, come up with a visual image. The advantage of a podcast is we can explore something in depth and deal with the issue that in a way that the, the mainstream media can't. For me, the, the essence of the problem is that the left won the culture war and the right has won the economic war in the United States and to a large extent here as well. So the left then focuses on culture So we see all the emphasis on political correctness and all the rest of it, now racism, of course. But they don't pay attention to economics. And you've got to look at the economic driver that underpins a lot of this anger. As we speak, half the people of colour in the United States are unemployed. That obviously has got to be a factor in the black anger. It's not just racism. It's not just identity politics which so obsesses the left. It's also an economic issue and you need to talk about class. If there is one word that you're not allowed to use in polite American society, it's the word class, because Americans are brought up to believe that they are living in a classless society. Clearly, they're not when you look at the rise of the aristocracy that they now have based on wealth, different from the aristocracy in Europe, which was based on birth. So in America, it's very much based on on wealth, which you can accumulate, but also lose, depending on you know your financial wisdom. But there is a class system in the United States derived from exploitation. And the people at the bottom end of the exploitation are usually the people of colour. Sure, you have an occasional successful uh, person. Barack Obama is, is a good example of that, a very good example. A lot of sports and, people. And his, uh, his own wife's family are very significant indeed. 80% of black children raised in the United States at least 80%, are raised by single parents, usually mums.
0: That's staggering.
1: It's a staggering figure, which we've known for an awfully long time, but doesn't get addressed. And it's partly an economic issue. Barack Obama is interesting because his wife's family were um, a hardworking husband and wife team that stayed all the way through until the death of his father-in-law. So they are actually an exception when you look at the first lady's family. Uh, about how they're able to stay together. Instead, what we've seen is the way in which families in the United States have been broken down. A very basic issue is what's called redlining. So redlining means that if you're a town planner working in a local government, you create areas which are suitable only for blacks and you create areas that are suitable only for whites. Now, an important way of making money over the generations is home ownership. That's how you accumulate wealth. It's just, we've looked at this in these programs. It's a form of saving. Blacks have been denied that because of redlining. They don't get the chance to own property, and certainly not in good areas, in the way that we can see the whites habitually have done so for decades. There's this called process called redlining. I'm not sure what the significance of the red line except they were red lines or maps, I guess that's how the, the phrase has come into being over the decades. So The concern that I've got is that we're spending a lot of time about institutional racism, which I agree exists, but that's seen as a cultural issue. There's also an economic dimension to it. And so a person of colour being born loses out on the day they're born. Indeed, arguably, they lose out on the day they were conceived. So they will be growing up with an underprivileged mother, growing in the womb of an underprivileged mother, and will be losing out in that way once they're born. So in a sense that they're a loser almost from the very beginning.
0: And let's go back to that beginning because America um, obviously had the slave trade, and that's when so many black people did come to America yep. in the first instance. And so that's where they, they were behind the eight ball from the get-go because they came in as slaves, Keith. That's
1: right. So in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So what we see then is the beginning of this particular period of world history, which has gone on for 500 years, 1492, so the Portuguese went east, the Spanish went west with Christopher Columbus. And so we have this 500-year window of, Euro- of European-dominated world affairs. You go back a 1,000 years, it was an Islamic-dominated world. We are now in a Western-dominated world, which is why you and I, Kate, with our white, fa- white faces, are in blackfella country. And we run the show. Not the black blackfellas. We've stolen their land, right? Mm. That happened in the last 500 years with this, what's called the weird era of the world. Western, educated, industrialised, rich and democratic. That's the weird world. Uh, now, some have argued, as we have done in this program, that that's coming to an end. So in 1492, a new chapter in world history commences. Columbus sails the ocean blue, arrives in the United States. By the way... It's interesting to note that the first foreign language spoken in the Americas was Arabic. So Christopher Columbus, knowing that he was sailing east to an area that he thought would be dominated by Muslims, took with him an an Arabic-speaking Spanish Jew. And so as the interpreter went ashore from the Columbus fleet, he spoke Arabic because he assumed that these people in the Americas were Muslims, whereas, in fact, of course, the, the local Indigenous people didn't speak Arabic, nor did they speak Italian or Spanish either. So there were problems right from the very beginning with translation and interpretation. But, it, but you see, that incident has been written out of American history. American history is, and I'm, here I'm beginning to sound like one of the cultural warriors, American history has largely been written from Boston, particularly Harvard, or you can throw in Yale, which means that it's Connecticut. But it means that you've got a Protestant view, white Protestant view of America. So they've excluded that early Islamic dimension. And also, of course, many of the slaves that were taken into America were actually Islamic slaves. So the Spanish were colonizing parts of uh, West Africa and they took those sl- people, the slaves, across the Atlantic and they then settled. Muslims in North America, that dimension is missing. In much the same way, I've got to say, by the way, Australians don't know about the Afghanistan dimension in Australian history. What? (laughs) And the way that the Afghans opened up Australia. That's a separate story. We might touch on that in a later program. We don't (laughs) normally deal with Australia, but that's a similar black spot. So we've got then this, this gap in our history that we are seeing the United States as this white, Protestant country where the wealth is held by the white people and it becomes a reinforcing of that history over the last 200 years, 300 years. Uh, It's interesting to note the New York Times in its 1619 project focusing on slavery. Yeah, but slavery began much earlier. It began before the British arrived with their slaves. It began with the Spanish when they arrived with their slaves. All of that is written out. So it shows the importance, I think, of, of just trying to understand the importance. Of, well, the, the basic line is ideas matter. A fish doesn't know that it swims in water. It grows up within a certain environment. And that's the problem that we always look at America in a particular point of view. And what I'm trying to do uh, through this series of podcasts is to challenge people to look more deeply at what is happening. Clearly, there's an economic dimension to all of this exploitation. So let me just go back to the black child growing up. The, that black child might actually be living in what's called a food desert. So a food desert is when, if you're, if your mother can't get to the shops very easily, you're relying on public transport, you don't have enough money to buy a car, you buy food at the local convenience store. That's not fresh food. You're raising your child on the nearest convenience of food, but you're living in a food desert. So you and I are accustomed to having you know, supermarkets with lots of fresh food. Go to the United States and the ghetto areas, they don't exist. What you do have are convenience stores and so you'll buy potato chips. Now, if you realise that quarter of everything you eat goes to the brain, so the brain is a very hungry organ and if you're not giving good food to your child, then the child is damaged almost from the outset before they go to school and then when they're in the school... They're educated to be you know, seen as, as going to be a failure. The great tragedy of the Barack Obama eight years in power is that he failed to push the family that, he, that particularly his wife's family had as role models and we could have raised a new generation of young people of colour much more idealistic and realising that in fact they can do well.
0: You listen to Global Truth, Dr. Keith Suda, we're talking about systemic racism, but then the underlying issues for why it exists and this sort of underclass of black people in America exists, uh, and the history behind that. I do think, Keith, just before the break, what you touched on was quite interesting. And that is that a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time in America would be quite confronted when they do go to these ghettos and find how predominantly black they are in some of these in some of these big cities that we hear about all the time and see in movies and news.
1: Yeah. So 50 years ago when I was living in Boston, I was speaking to a police officer. This was the time of the riots in Roxbury, a suburb of Boston. And I said, well, what are you going to do about breaking up the ghettos, the black ghettos that exist? Because that's where the riots are taking place. And he said, look, ghettos are not the problem. They are part of the solution. If you keep blacks in a ghetto, you can keep an eye on them. If if they become black middle class, there's a risk that they will spread out. They will annoy white neighbours this is a white officer, and he said it just as a matter of course. So the value of the ghetto is that you can keep an eye on them. You know where they are. (laughs) You know where they are. And the rioting tends to take place within that area. They trash their own areas. Of course, that's what I think has been so fascinating about the riots in New York. They've actually been going up some of the major white consumer areas looting the stores. That would suggest, by the way, that you've got different types of, of activity underway. You've got Obviously, the people who are horrified at the death of uh, Mr. Floyd, in Minneapolis, I think at a later program, we need to look at why you have a, at least 1,000 people a year getting shot by the police and are never put on trial.
0: The police and, uh, aren't?
1: The police are never put on trial. So the, the, But this is part whole... of
0: the reason. This is an underlying reason that people are protesting, isn't it, Kate?
1: Exactly. So then you've got that as part of the, the bedrock of the campaign. But you've also got now people who are trying to use this for a broader political campaign more generally. And then on top of that, you've got what might be called recreational rioting. Namely, if you want a flat screen TV, this is a good time for you to acquire one.
0: It's quite extraordinary, but this is again we're, 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 what you're outlining here—the the issues that are being protested in America. But this—it's been a long road to get to this point, isn't yep. it, Keith? So the, the anger that is there is generations of anger. Like you've had the civil rights movement as well. Um, you had the the war that's in mean, Gone with the Wind. What's that war again?
1: Gone with the American it's... Civil War, eighteen sixty-one to eighteen sixty-five. Right. Now, what is interesting about that is that during that during the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. In a sense, you take 1865 as being the end, legally, of slavery, and then you're beginning to get the first lot of civil rights legislation seeking to empower black voters. Very, very slow process there. But what is interesting is that you then get a reaction set in to that period. So by 1870 a lot of the progress that was being made was actually starting to be reversed because of the power. Remember the early Democrats, well, the Democrats of this time were the slave owners. A quarter of American presidents have owned slaves. An incredible statistic. Up until 1861, when the outbreak of the Civil War, Lincoln never owned slaves, right? And later that you tended not to have it. Now, you get a period in the late nine. late 1860s, when progress is being made with the blacks. But then the reaction sets in as the the southern states, dominated by the Democrats, then begin to reassert themselves and, for example, introduce legislation called posse comitatus, uh, which prohibits the deployment of American forces on American streets, right? Now, President Trump, is talking about deploying troops under the 1807 Insurrection Act. Yeah, but that's all been changed from the Posse Comitatus Act of the late 1860s. I don't think he's got the power to deploy those troops. But this is an indication about how the reforms that people hoped would flow from the Civil War actually petered out. And so you then get, okay, slavery is technically abolished, but you then get blacks who are kept in servitude, prevented from voting, prevented from getting a good education and that then runs all the way through you then get um the, the period of the of the uh, 1960s with the civil rights renewal of the campaign martin luther king etc and president johnson who when he signed the civil rights legislation into law said we have now lost the south for a generation because it meant that the republican party led by richard nixon could say, okay, we were the, the, the Republican Party of Abraham Lincoln, but we're not the Republican Party of this new civil rights legislation, vote for us. And suddenly you see the, the Southerners who would never have voted Republican because of Abraham Lincoln now prefer to vote Republican rather than would ever vote Democrats. And the Democrats who survive in the South, the Dixiecrats, are in fact very conservative. And so they are also opposed... Civil rights legislation. And that's why Johnson said that by signing the civil rights legislation into law, he destroyed the Democrat Party in the South for a generation. And it's only been in recent years we've seen a resurgence of the Democrat Party. It just shows how systemic all of this is.
0: Oh, it's quite, and, and also quite shocking for people because this is the world power we're talking <laughs> about. It's the yeah. richest country in the world, and yet it is so backward in so many ways yeah. that, are, that are very. Uh, Confronting.
1: It is very confronting, and and it shows the extent of which there has to be a change in the United States. Uh, by all means, stop the police brutality. By all means, find ways of putting them on trial. As I say, we'll deal with a later program about why police officers never go on trial, even those responsible for Floyd. i will be interested to see if any of them actually do jail time, and and yet, and and Trump is not causing this problem, but he's not solving it either. But then Barack Obama had eight years in office. Joe Biden, who's now complaining about racism, he had eight years as vice president but didn't do very much about this, yeah, but
0: it's so de- it's like the gun lobby almost. Like it's exactly. so deep seated, and there's <laughs> you know that it, how do you where do you even start? Yeah, and in, and in, you know it's a it's cyclic. Like how do you break that cycle of lack of confidence when you're brought up in these ghettos and you you don't see anyone around you being given a really good shot at life, so then you don't believe you're going to get a good shot at life.
1: And if you're Chinese, you're looking at what's going on in the United States, and you'll say this is just the end of the weird world. <laughs> these Westerners have had five hundred years, and now that the empire strikes back and look at the mess they're in. They're not going to be able to change th- that situation is so deep within their culture and their economics. Therefore, we in China are going to be the re- new power of the future, not the United States.
0: Well, just on that note, before I go, I mean, I couldn't possibly do this whole episode without asking about the effect this will have on Trump, if any, and how he's handled it thus far. Well, I think
1: it'll probably help Trump's re-election in November. He is appealing to the white, scared voters. He is saying, support me because I'm going to maintain order in this society.
0: I know, and you have seen these cops that are sitting down and kneeling down and, you know, showing empathy for the crowds and you've got him saying, don't worry, I'm going to bring in the army and crush everyone. Yep. <laughs> but if it works...
1: It works, it might get him re-elected in November.
0: Dr Keith, as always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.